Hello, welcome to To Be A Terrier. Stephen Chicken, joined, as usual, by Lindley's own David Hartrick. How are you doing, Dave? Yeah, not bad at all. Not bad at all. Feeling much better now. Good. No squeaky voice teen, no Isaac Hayes. Hopefully not. You never know. Hopefully not. Well, we've got a one-all draw to talk about. What would you know? So, I think... I've never seen a game where a game a game of two halves applies more than Huddersfield Town won, Swansea City won. I think Town were really, really good first half, particularly off the ball, but also dangerous on the ball. Had all the best chances in that first half, really. And then second half, I thought they were pretty bad, especially on the ball. And uh, it was no surprise that Swansea got their equaliser. Disappointing result in the circumstances, given how good that first half was, really, wasn't it, first of all? Yeah, um, I I think they were pretty good. Um, But they retreated a bit too far. Swansea regrouped massively at half-time, came out, exploited a couple of areas on on the pitch that were, to be frank, town left them there to exploit. And, Mm. yeah, complete turnaround. Game of two halves, Saint. Yeah, I mean, we'll start with that first half. They The goal, I thought, was, was merited. They had a really good start town. Their pressing right from the start was, was superb. They were hunting in numbers. They gave Swansea absolutely nothing. I thought all half, there was, sort of, there was only one occasion where Swansea really had a really, really dangerous break through the press where they got through. I think they had town had sort of three, four men pushing on the back line and they managed to get a, a ball through and thankfully Lewis O'Brien got back and made a brilliant tackle before Harry Toffolo then then gave it away again to put Swansea back on the front foot but um, that, that was really the only time for me that, that Swansea really got through the town press and you know town were counter-attacking really well they had a goal disallowed early on from a set piece of Jonathan Hogg header although we in the ground or at least that everyone around me thought it was uh, Matty Pearson at first so that was what went in the report so apologies for that it was Jonathan Hogg um, the cameraman had it right uh, and then it hit Josh Caroma after Ben Hamer made a save and, and went in that was disallowed they got the goal uh, after about 15 minutes or so, Daniel Sanani poking in his, his fourth goal of the season. A really simple finish, but Ben Hamer had already made a couple of, of really excellent saves before then to, to keep town at bay. Uh, in the build-up to that move, save from Ward, save from, from O'Brien, and then Sanani finally put it in. He also made a great save from, from Lewis O'Brien. Speaking of squeaky voice teen, there he is. Um, that Me, that is, not Lewis O'Brien. Very much the opposite of a squeaky squeaky voice, uh, Lewis O'Brien. Um, no, had a, a magnificent shot that, that Hamer did really well to turn over the bar. And then there was another break as well. Um, really, really good chance. Sorba Thomas got up the right after really good work by, by Danny Ward to hold it up on, on halfway, turn his man, played in Sorba Thomas. Sorba went up and... Brilliant ball across the box to Lewis O'Brien and unfortunately, you know, that not much else he could have done with that finish, but unfortunately Hamer throws himself in front of it, takes the ball full in the face and uh and, and keeps it out. Real good performance from Ben Hamer, first of all. You have to say that, you know, on, on a on an off day or anything less than a brilliant day for the goalkeeper Tam would have comfortably been at least two 0 up at the break. Yeah, um I think it was a bit of a Ben Hamer game in that, yeah, he did make a couple of really good saves, but uh, everyone got the memo to pressure his kicking, didn't they? And uh, it very nearly very nearly cost them a couple of times, and it, it certainly cost them possession uh, on more than once. But, yeah, the, the Lewis chance, I've watched it a couple of times, and I know what you're saying, but he does get there in reasonably good time, and you sort of think just an inch either side, an inch mm-hmm. either side, and I, I think that's that's going past Hamer if I'm honest but one of those things really and I think that um, what was really good about that O'Brien chance specifically was it was clearly something tactically they'd worked on to break that press and and get Sorba coming from deep and get him in the space to be able to do that and yeah it it was all going so well at one point we were in the press room at half time talking to the examiners Mel Booth and Matt Glennon and various others and we were all very sort of you know, very up on the half and all thought they deservedly 1-0 up, but, you know, could be 2, could be 3, even in, in, you know, you could push it that far. But none of us were really expecting to, to, to come out second half and it to go the way it did, really. We we all thought there was an easy 2-0 win there um, mm. if Town wanted it, but, yeah, didn't go that way. 
No, and, and not for the first time this season. And it was, you said it was, at the, you know, after the game, before when we were waiting for the presser, before Carlos came out, you said that really reminded me of Coventry. And Carlos came out and said that really reminded me of Coventry. So it was it was pretty well one-way traffic. They had to absorb constant pressure. Scott High came on at the break for, for Sinani and... You know, we'll talk about Scott High in a bit, but fair to say he he struggled. But I think there was a real... I've written a piece just now, just before we come on the air, where I'm talking about this being a bit of a pattern this season, that they have they've dropped quite a few points from, from winning positions. And whenever we've asked Carlos Corbin about it, and, you know, you talk about are they dropping dropping too deep or are they getting too defensive? I think it's not so much that as, as they just... They they lose the ability to to counter attack in those situations. It seems like you know every time we have a situation like this, and we ask Carlos Gorbran what went wrong, he always says we weren't good enough on the ball. And you know if you're not good enough on the ball, you're going to put yourself under pressure. And to be honest, the more I've looked into it, the more I kind of agree because they've dropped 14 points from winning positions this season, and 11 of the points they've dropped have been when Daniel Sonani's not been on the pitch, either because he's been absent altogether, or he's been substituted off, or he's not yet come on. And this was another occasion where Sonani went off at the break, everything looking good, you know, counter-attacking well, and and then he goes off, and suddenly they they don't know what to do with the ball. They're all over the place with it. And I don't think that's down to what Sonani does. I don't think he had a a particularly, you know, he got the goal, but I don't think he had a particularly brilliant, influential display in that first half. But I think Town seemed to play, it's what the other players around him do, and I think Town seemed to play a very different way when Sonani is on the pitch compared to when he's not on the pitch. Their defensive wreck when he's on the pitch, they concede a goal. I think it's once every hundred and eight minutes, something hundred and four minutes, something like that, uh, which is the best record of anyone in the team. And I just think they they play a different way when Tanani is there compared to when they have other wingers on the pitch. I mean, they didn't even really have a winger. Carlos described it after the game as having one winger and one centre forward after the break. And I just, what do you make of that, Dave? Do you, do you think it is? Do you think there's something in that? Um, yeah, I I think I wrote a piece that went up on the Examiner this morning, which was making the point that nobody else in the squad does what Danel Sonani does, mm. um, and if his injury is going to be, you know, sort of medium to long term, they may have and to. We, and we in. don't know yet. No, we, we don't say know. That. Yeah, um, it could be back at the weekend. It could be the rest of the season. We don't know. They may have to look into the market because there's there there is literally nobody else in the squad of that mould, and like Towns Towns press is driven by that front line that's that's one of the things that Danny Ward is is so good at and I think Sonani going off really through them because they didn't have Dwayne Holmes's industry up there which they they sorely sorely missed they tried you know like you say they tried players out there and it didn't really work nobody really had an impact and I think that like I was looking at the passing stats yesterday and I made the point in the conclusions that you know Swansea had 819 passes to Towns 300 odd and a couple of people said oh yeah but you know it's it's stat padding because they're just passing it around the back well the reality is they can pass it around the back because they're under no pressure Um, Mm -hmm. and that is what they were that is how they were building and you can say they passed it around the back but they were passing it around the back and never rarely did they get, sort of pump it long or just try and hit space they were constantly finding a man and they were picking and choosing their moments to to go forward and you think well yeah that's that's the lack of pressure that's the lack of pressure up top and they were so well drilled and so good at dropping a man into the 10 position there was no designated 10 there but they would just rotate a sort of a rotating cast dropping in there and that was taking Hoggy out of the game because naturally as soon as somebody drops into that space Hoggy immediately picks them up that it was leaving another gap in the middle and they were just finding men time and time again so yeah it it made you realize how important that that front press is but like the other thing is, and I, th- that, I think they tired as well. Yeah, like, that's exactly think, what I was going to say. The the, yeah. the first half effort was monumental, absolutely yeah, monumental. And uh, like Karoma, really, uh, he came in for a little bit of criticism, but I actually thought his pressing work, his defensive work, first half was was really good. It was yeah, actually some of the best work I've seen from him. Admittedly, it's not what you want Josh Karoma doing predominantly. You you want him in an attacking sense. But yeah, the effort was monumental. And then 
Swansea just keep hold of the ball so well that it just tires you out. It just wears you out. And not having the ball for two, three minutes, suddenly then when you do get it, there's an enormous sense of urgency to do something with it, to, to make an impact in the game. So that adds a pressure as well. So, yeah, I, I, I think it's a whole combination of factors, really. But they really did miss that front-line press. Yeah, I mean, while, while we're talking about Chroma, yeah, I saw a few people saying, oh, he's like a sulky teenager or, you know, he's, you know, his body language is off. I thought he was just knackered because he worked yeah. so hard. Yeah. Like, I don't think it was an attitude thing at all. He, you know, he, he never I stopped he first half. never stopped running no. first half. He was constantly moving and he was, yeah, and it's a huge effort. I think in other circumstances, you might have seen him, you know, go off uh, a bit sooner but after they'd lost Sonani you know Dwayne Holmes wasn't there because he's uh, he, he's had a Covid case in his household so he was he had to isolate and you know I think they've been linked with a few wing a couple of wingers this this transfer window and we talked about it last week and we were a bit surprised when that first came out and then the more we thought about it the more we were like actually it does make a kind of sense and I think sort of being without Sinani and home sort of showed the sense in that because you ended up with Lewis O'Brien started the second half right wing and then uh, after about 10 or 15 minutes Scott High ended up going out there and I think that meant that it made it difficult for him to, to take Karoma off because uh, I don't know how many minutes Pippa was able to play you feel like they pro- probably would have put Pippa on a bit sooner if he'd mm. been able to do that I, I don't think it was a game for Naby Sai you could have you know you could have put Sorba Thomas at left wing and moved Turk to wing back but I don't think it was a game for Naby Sai at all so I don't think that was really an option I think he would have been destroyed in that game mm. in truth it was the right decision not to pick him so I think Carlos was a you know a no Aaron Rowe because he'd been he'd missed the Burnley game uh again with with Covid and uh I wasn't quite ready for this game either so you know that there's a real sort of dearth of options there while I'm on the subject as well I will just set the record right because there was a bit of a mis- miscommunication with Danny Grant um because Carlos told, seemed to say in the press last week he'd only trained two days since playing for the B team uh, beginning of December, was it? Uh, what he meant was that he's been training two days a week, uh, not that he'd only trained two days in total. So just, just to clear that up uh, <laughs> for the record while I think on about it. But uh, obviously that means that he's you know he's, he's nowhere near the first team still. <sighs> if Sonani is injured, as you say, they really do need to look in the market, don't they? Not just for someone to fill that wing slot, but perhaps looking for someone to do that that number 10 role that he plays because they've only really got Holmes who is anything like Sonani in, in either role. They, they basically they just need a threat from that side because mm. I, like I know Silva's been brilliant but he's only scored three goals this season and two of them came in one game um, they need a, a, a genuine threat and I think that Sonani's role is sort of a third of a winger a, a third of a sort of inverted winger and a third of a ten it's a very complicated and difficult role really um, mm. and it, it's it's why sometimes you get frustrated because you feel like he's on the fringes of the game, but it's it's because he's he's trying constantly drifting into different areas, seeing if he can can affect anything. But yeah, there there is nobody else who fits that mould. You know, uh, Sorba Thomas is not the same player when he plays that high, and he's he's more of a winger. So then that upsets the balance of the other two and how they play. Mm-hmm. Aaron Rowe is is more of a wing back in truth. Um, he could play wide on the front three, but he's had the sort of injury where he's He's got to take his time. You can't just expect him to play, you know, even 60 minutes for five games in a row, really. And Pippa, they're having to be similarly careful with. You could try him higher, but it would be a, you know, it would be a gamble. It would be a risk. So, mm. yeah, it, it's it all hinges on really what the update is on Danel Sanani. I would I would say, you know, there's a big difference between two weeks out and two months out, isn't there? There is. Yeah, I mean. Phew. We'll see what it brings, but I just think they need... I mean, I think the the stat about them dropping so many points when he's not on the pitch, as I say, is less to do with him. It's more to do with... I think it just changes the way Town play, and I think that, you know... I think about the times where they've played two out-and-out wingers uh, this season, and I don't think it's worked particularly well when they have done that. You know, I think one of the few, you know, the, the occasions where they've tried it have been sort of Bournemouth and, and Swansea, where you can understand why he wants to, uh, Swansea away, I should say, where you can understand why he wants, you know, Sorba Thomas up in the front three for what he can do in the press. But in reality, it's not worked because I think we've said before, Sorba Thomas is a player who wants 40 yards of space to run into and not, not 10 and I think he is better at, at wing back than he is on the wing. You know, he played Thomas and Karoma against Bournemouth. It was Thomas and Sonani against Swansea. 
away. I think they'd look a lot for me, and I wrote this just before uh just before the turn of the new year. I can't remember which game it was in relation to. I think it might have been Bristol that Holmes and Tanani currently looks like town's best option because you've almost got sort of two players who can drift anywhere from sort of number 10 out to the wing and we'll go back and forth and are constantly looking for those pockets of space you talk about and I think those have been some of town's best performances when when those two have have played together not always brilliant I think they played against Coventry but I think generally speaking they've looked better that way and I think they could do with even even if Tanani's fine I think we've been saying it all season they could do with another player capable of of doing that that job I think yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But I mean, that wasn't the only reason why they struggled second half. That no, was, not there, at all. there were there were a few different reasons, and I think Swansea did a bit of a number on them. To be brutally honest with you, yeah, I think yeah. tactically they they picked picked out where the holes were. As I said, they kept dropping somebody into a certain space just to sort of tie up Hog, and that left a hole in midfield. I thought their overlaps were really good, and they're just so patient. You know, they have no issue just staying on the ball they're all so comfortable and it's that as I said I think town fell into the trap of then as soon as they got it they felt like they had to make something happen and it all became a bit all became a bit desperate all became a bit stretched and the equaliser ended up feeling quite inevitable and you know it was a good finish I thought Downs was the best player on the pitch if I'm brutally honest I thought he was excellent him and and Grimes I thought yeah 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 and you know, it, and the two keepers as well. To be fair, both keepers had excellent games. Matty Pearson had a good game as well. But yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, it was it was coming a long time um, that goal, and yeah, Town were were as good as they were first half. Were really off it second half. I think it's worth saying Swansea. I thought massively up their game. They were much more aggressive, much more attacking second half. Um, you know, you mentioned them being patient, but I think they sort of found another gear uh, after the break because obviously they had nothing to lose. They were going for it. I mean, I think it's worth qualifying something you've said repeatedly, which is they are a better team than their league position mm. suggests. I mean, for a start, the league table is a bit of a, a liar at the moment because everyone's yeah. played different numbers of games, etc. But, I mean, I was talking to the, the Swansea reporter, uh, Ian Mitchell-Moore, before the game, uh, a good journalist, and I was asking, you know, what, uh, what's what been Swansea's issue this season? And, you know, they have played fewer games than anyone else for a start. You know, they hadn't played for over a month before in, in the league before Saturday. But he said that, you know, they dominate games, but they give away a lot of soft goals, which sounds very familiar. Sounds a lot like Huddersfield Town last season. And so I think that when you get a Swansea performance where they, as they do, dominate games and they don't give away those soft goals. And in fact, quite the opposite. They saved a couple of goals that, you know, the XG for this game for Town is actually really high because all the best chances were, were theirs. And they they didn't let them in basically there were a few good saves from Hamer as we talk about maybe you could say town weren't clinical enough as well uh in that first half they really didn't create much until the last sort of 10 minutes second half but yeah i think as you say swansea did do a number they they played well but it's not to let town off the hook i, I i'm i'm being a bit cautious here and i'm trying to sort of emphasize the positives a bit as to be honest because I'm a bit taken aback by the level of the reaction from a lot of fans uh, to this game. There's there's a lot of people treating this. I I feel like forgetting that they did have that really good first half, and we've said it before repeatedly, but I feel like if you switch those two halves, everyone sort of goes away quite happy saying, oh, they upped the game, they did well. Uh, I think it's... I understand where it comes from because they have blown a fair few points uh, from winning positions this season. When I've, when you look into the numbers, when you dig into it, they're not really any worse than, than most teams in the championship. You know, Middlesbrough have dropped more points, a uh, higher proportion of their points, and so have Stoke. Their own, you know, Bournemouth are not much better, uh, and neither are uh, a QPR, and they're both above town in the table. So I don't think it's as bad as it feels, but they do, I think, it's happened quite a lot because Town tend to score first uh, for a start, and as well as the tactical issues we've talked about there. I mean, Carlos talked about he wanted to go. He, he realized, In hindsight, he said, I wish I'd put Jordan Rhodes on sooner and gone two up top because we looked a lot better playing 5-3-2 than we did playing 5-4-1. I think there's definitely something in that in there. Yeah, uh, yeah, very much so. I don't, I'm a... I'm a... I don't know. I sort of get the reaction, if I'm honest, because of you can't watch your side be outplayed for 40 minutes of a second half, really, and not come away feeling a bit 
down. Home, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, particularly at home. I think you have to factor in the fact that it was a fiver for a ticket, so it was a huge crowd, biggest crowd of the season, 20,000 and 20,600 and something. I think that contributes to the mood because you've just got physically more people who've engaged with the whole 90 minutes. And I think that there is still... It, it it's difficult to gauge the town fan base at the moment because there are a lot of there are a lot of moving cogs at the moment there's there's a lot of things off the pitch there's a lot of things on the pitch mm. there are people who are still quite divided over certain issues and certain players there are still people even you know town are seventh for flying this league there are still people who don't think carlos corbin should be manager there are other people who think he should be given a eight-year contract pardew style it's a weird it's a weird feeling trying to take the temperature of the fan base at the moment and yeah i i was slightly taken aback that so many people were so down on this game and i yeah, did make the, the point in the in the final whistle show that extra time i always call it final whistle it's called extra time on uh the extra time show for the club this is one of those results that i think three days away you think okay do you know what that wasn't a bad point that's fine we we move on whereas in the immediate aftermath yeah maybe you are a bit a bit emotional about it but i think it probably serves as a good point if i'm brutally honest with you and yeah yeah, i i I understand the reaction but yeah i was a bit like you i was a bit taken aback that it was quite looking on twitter on saturday night you would have thought they'd just lost five nil at home you know full of yeah that's it that yeah exactly because i mean you and i were both sitting in the press room saying oh that wasn't great that was a really bad you know really awful second half from them you know and you know the piece i wrote was talking about how disappointing it was how frustrating it was and then i think you went away to do the extra time show and then you came back having you know looked at your phone and seen the reaction and seen seen the comments people have been making and you said to me i think we're going to have to sort of tone it down a bit because you know it's it's pretty pretty aggro out there i it's it's I don't know. It's I, I get it in in one sense. In 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 as you say, it is for all the reasons you say understandable that people would be disappointed. But as you say, it was as though people had forgotten. Well, they're seventh and they're eight games unbeaten and mm. <laughs> had the better chances in that game uh, in the first half. An element of bad luck there, you know. Not to say that you know, not to get them off the hook for that awful second half, but. I don't think it was it was nowhere near as dismal as the, as the tone might suggest on social media. Maybe it's just a case of social media or or you know our friends who message us who are not on social media were particularly uh, outspoken about it. But it, I don't know. It just seemed a bit a bit I, bit much to me. I think it's also reflect slightly reflective of something we've talked about before. But town don't tend to do the middle ground much themselves. You know, yeah. like we've talked about the sort of extremes of Carlos Corbran's management where it's either very, very good or we're really questioning nearly every aspect of it. We've talked about the extremes of the runs we've beat, they've been on. They're on another one here where they're eight unbeaten. They've been absolutely flying. They've come through sort of mentally the most, the toughest part of the season and, and take, you know, had a clean sweep of points really. And yeah, it's. I think it's quite reflective of, of that, that, that I think... <sighs> The middle ground is not an easy place to be content with, if you know what I mean, when you've had such highs and such lows over the last four or five years with with Huddersfield Town. And I think probably... More lows than highs, let's be honest. Well, yeah, and I think our job as as writers and podcasters and analysts, etc., we try to stay neutral and we try to stay analytical. But I think we also have to respect the fact that it's an extremely emotional thing and these are extremely emotional yeah. reactions and when you look at it you go yeah okay i i i get it yeah yeah fair enough i mean one player who came in for for particular criticism was scott high who i thought had his worst game in a Huddersfield town shirt i don't think there's any hiding from that we gave him three out of ten uh and that's not to overlook that he made a couple of really good passes you know the the two good counter attacks that town did have he played great passes to get them going but he also t- had two absolute hospital passes and maybe one we could have forgiven as a young player with nerves but to do do it once and then do it again uh you're into sort of nightmare territory there you, you need to learn from those mistakes he's a, we've talked last week about the fact that he's quite a divisive player you and I are both keen on him i think other fans struggle to to see what he offers i think people 
would like maybe a more physical central midfielder, perhaps someone who offers a bit more in the tackle um, and someone who's a bit more robust rather than, you know, a, a passer. I think some of the criticism of, of him is unfair, as we talked about. I think the people who are like, oh, he's only backwards and sideways passes are willfully overlooking the huge number of, of defence splitting passes that he has played this season that have helped lead to chances and goals, including, as I say, a couple in this game. But it was it was a, a bad showing overall from him, wasn't it? it? Albeit in an unfamiliar position. Yeah, um, but I, I did write in the conclusion, so I think it will serve him longer term. I think that's a performance that will live with him for a while and he... He won't want to repeat. I also think that that was... I mean, I'm trying to think of a better central midfield two I've seen play against town this season. And I don't mean in terms of like long-term, oh, they're just better players. I mean, a two who have played better than that against town this season. And I, I can't... I can't think of one, if I'm honest. And I think to come into that at half-time when Swansea have had a chance to regroup and they are going to target midfield to try and create some space and to sort of be played out of position, um, yeah, I think he just... I think it was a little bit rubbish in the headlights at times. And yes, definitely. Like, we're not... We, we can't really defend that performance beyond... I think he will learn from it. You know, I think a, mm. a chastening performance isn't isn't a bad thing once in a while for a young player, if I'm honest, because it often helps them long term. But the other point I made is I think that as as town fans, as town writers, etc., I think we've all got spoilt with the fact that Lewis O'Brien came back from Bradford absolutely fully baked and ready to go. Yeah. And his talent was such that he just came into the team and was essentially was just brilliant from the off and yeah. like that is that's the exception that's not the rule and I think sort of realistically high is being judged by O'Brien's standards and mm-hmm. I, again I completely understand that but I I just Lewis O'Brien is the one off not Scott High here and I think that you just have to be patient and give him a bit of time as you would with any sort of normal usual young footballer who isn't Lewis O'Brien who just comes into the championship and just eats it up in his first season yeah exactly I mean Scott High turns 21 next month Mm. Uh, Lewis O'Brien turned 21 uh, two months into his first season October 2019 so you know that they're, they're roughly the same age and I think I think you're right. I think people forget how, you know, 20 is no age in the championship these days, you know, for for an out for for any position. So he came off the back of that season at Bradford as well, and the season at Bradford was a relegation season, so they wouldn't they decided not to do a player of the year understandably, but there was universal agreement if there had been a player of the year, it would have been Lewis O'Brien. So that season served him tremendously well but even then he was exceptional in that he went there and just took to it straight away you know was just great from the off that is the if only every young player was like that but they're not you know the majority need time need patience and to be frank need to learn from their own mistakes really and on a more positive note Lee Nichols brilliant again uh, I thought Matty Pearson had an excellent game as well Tom Lees was really good uh, I thought Ollie Turton had a couple of moments as, as he often does but he tended to make up for them uh, and I thought was the right choice in that back three as opposed to, to Navi Saar for, for the reasons we, we've talked about I think Saar just would have been passed to death in, in that game I think you needed sort of Turton's mobility he also sort of Carlos does value the flexibility. He played Turton and then Swansea line up as you're not, you know, in a different shape, which they did against Southampton last week. Then you can switch to a four if you want to, um, which is, you know, quite, a, I think for Carlos, quite an important uh, trait of his. But I mean, as we said at the top of the show, it was the two goalkeepers probably were the, were the men in the match. And Lee Nichols was, was fabulous again, wasn't he? Yeah, he's just he's just consistently good, isn't he? He's just consistently a seven out of ten, and that's exactly what you want yeah. in that position. And um, I I went back through the saves, and I don't think there's any saves there that you wouldn't expect him to make. But the difference is he makes them every single time. He he never he never makes a mistake. You know, he's never let town down yet. And uh, yeah, the the I I think that 
it's almost sort of boring to say Lee Nichols is good now, but he is. He's yeah. just really good, and I think it's another one where you go on a free transfer. You you got to take your hats off to the people who identified him and, and brought him into the club. Absolutely, yeah. I believe Paul Clements was behind that. They had a goalkeeping. Um, so yeah, big praise to him, and obviously working with him on the training pitch as well. Um, you just you know you're going to get a reliable performance out of him. And as you say, you know I only gave him an eight, and I was tempted towards a nine. And the only reason I didn't was the reason you said, which is I don't think there were any saves there you wouldn't expect him to make but all of them he made well he was great on crosses as he always is um just just an excellent performance and I thought Lucy Bryan had a really good game as well you know uh again and you know we, we we talked last week about how sometimes I feel like maybe I'd taken for granted and you know I feel like he's probably the one player in that squad who if I'm doing my ratings I'll give him a six and it's a six for Lewis O'Brien not <laughs> a six by anyone else's standards but I thought first half in particular he was he was so good in the press he was really unlucky not to get a goal. Uh, he had one saved late on as well, which was, you know, I think you would have expected Hamer to make that save, to be fair. But, you know, Hamer saved from him four times uh, in that game. And probably the one criticism we've had of Lewis O'Brien over the past few years has just been, does he offer enough in the final third? But you could see, I mean, getting on, you mentioned him getting onto that sort of a Thomas cross in plenty of time. He absolutely caned it up the field to get onto that ball. I don't know if you if you had your eyes on him. Um yeah. Yeah. he he absolutely caned it to get into the box for that for that delivery and you know, I think he's having a really good spell at the moment, Lewis O'Brien and again another one that it's it's very long may it continue. I thought it was a, a difficult game to give the ratings for. I ended up giving a lot of sixes. Um and that was reflective of the fact that I think if I'd done it at half time I would have given a lot of sevens and eights and if I'd done it just based on the second half I would have given a lot of fours and fives mm. uh, so they all ended up sort of balancing out um, yeah a, a weird game and, and sort of does point towards obviously room for improvement they do need that killer instinct you know I was the other thing I looked at is how many times have they had a routine win and if we sort of class a routine win as they score first uh, they hold on to the lead throughout the game and the balance of play suggests they deserve to win and we can use xg to determine the last one then they've won 11 games this season in the league and uh and f- only four of them have sort of been routine wins you would call them and that's sort of Reading, blackpool away uh hull and and millwall uh, are the only ones four nil three nil two nil one nil pleasingly and the last of those, Millwall, was back in October. This is, as well as things are going for town, and we talk about, you know, obviously they're on that eight unbeaten in all competitions, seven in the league. There's probably been a few too many sort of dramatic games, dramatic results. The couple of three twos, grinding out results against Forest and Blackburn and... Uh, this game against Swansea and Coventry as well you know a lot of the games have been sort of quite up and down and we said it last week but it remains true they need to be honest we've been saying it for six years <laughs> if we'd if we'd been doing it that long town need to get routine wins on the board now that's the next step for them, isn't it yeah it's killing games that's that's just yeah. they, they don't kill games 2-0 at, at half time is a very different second half Swansea still come out and are as proactive as they are but yeah it's a very very different second half and it's it is the Huddersfield Town problem it's it comes back to issues of sort of creativity and that thing about I know they've created a couple of a, a couple of really good chances and they got their was it their third highest next year of the season or second highest next year of the season but it, it's that thing of creating certain types of chances rather than just loads and loads of chances and yeah, and it's specifically that, creating. Cha- they, re- I think they're really good at creating chances when the game is level, but when they're ahead, they they just seem not to not to keep going with it. Yeah, and I think that it, it's what really tempers the talk of sort of a, a playoff challenge. If I'm honest, over the course of the season, it's because yeah. the, the teams that are I don't I don't like using the word, but sort of serious teams are killing these games off. You know, at, at, when they go one nil up, fifteen minutes in, they push on and get a second, and it's it's a very different game from that point on. So, mm. that is the next big part of the Corbyn project for me. We've said he's a project yeah, manager, sure. and we've said it. We it's it's not they're not at the sort of final, they're not at the final boss yet. They're not at the final stage, and that is the next big part because defensively they're sorted. Defensively yeah. they're absolutely fine. And you look at the or options. as good as they need to be, certainly. Yeah. yeah, and you look at the options over the summer. You know, yeah, there's a decision on Nabi Saar, but they've got Romani Edmund Green coming back. 
Romney Critchlow Romney has gone Critchlow, out in League, yeah. one, League One because he's done so well on his League Two loan. They're all right. You know, they've they've got players left and right too, so they don't need to worry about that. This is the next part of the project, isn't it? This is the next thing. It's having that little bit of an X factor that just takes you to 2-0 in these games. Yeah, I mean, they've had two games in the last... 15 in the league where they've scored more than one goal you know that, that and that's mm. the, the two three twos and they had to come from behind to win those games yeah. so yeah i mean it's yeah i mean it's that bristol city game must be the only time they've had a two goal lead since uh since hull back in october mm. so yeah there's there's clearly and that's where i can understand the fans being annoyed by it because it is i guess it must feel very we've seen this before we've Brown seen this day. Yeah, we've seen this all season. Uh, they are actually playing on Groundhog Day um, this season now as well because the, the game against Derby County has been moved to February the 2nd. So there you go. Just uh, I love a Groundhog Day reference in my pieces, as long-time readers will know. So that's uh, already circled in the calendar. But um, no, I mean, yeah, that's obviously the next step. And I think any any signings they do make in January, and there's, as I say, we still don't know if they're going to. We know they're, they're sort of weighing up their options. I think they're almost at the moment, I get the vibe, they might be keeping their powder dry to see if there are any offers for the players they've already got or what injuries come up. Um, because I don't think they want to sort of commit to one area and then find they needed someone else. But um, we'll see what they bring. But I think if they do bring someone in, as you say, particularly if Sonani's injured, they need to. It needs to be someone that's going to help them do that and help them push on and get those those turn those you know one all draws into two nil wins. Yeah, I I I think it's going to be a quiet window. If I'm honest. We'll yeah. we'll see. I I think I think there might be an in. But I'm I'm not sure there'll be an out. I think to sort of I don't know get. And honestly, we don't know anything. I'm not linking this to anything or anything like that. But you know, if someone's coming in for Sorba Thomas, they're only going to get him if they pay an amount of money that it's an impossible for Huddersfield Town to turn down. <laughs> and if if you do get that level of money as a Championship club, then nobody can really argue against you taking the deal. To be frank, so. I think it's a bit of a weird window because I think COVID is playing a, a big part really because a lot of clubs are wanting to hang on to players that I think they would have been quite happy to lose at one point. We're back in that world of them worrying about their squad longer term over the rest of the season, etc. So I don't see quite a few um we've seen quite a few Premier League clubs recalling players from loans as well. Yeah. So I, I don't think it's gonna be like a sort of you know, one of those windows where there's loads going on and we come to the final day and it's it's rumour after rumour. It just doesn't feel like that sort of window across the board to me, never mind we had a town. But we'll see. It would be I think an in would be good because I think uh, it, <laughs> More than anything, it just sort of livens the squad up a bit, doesn't it? And it gets the fans sort of engaged and everybody gets excited about signing. That is just modern football, whether we like it or not. But I don't think it's going to be like, you know, four or five new names. There's going to be, there's not going to be a photo of three players holding a scarf in the centre circle or anything like that. It's, it's just not going to happen, I don't think. Um, Levi Cole will be staying though talking to loan recalls I think that The Athletic reported that that, that Leicester City wanted to take him on loan uh, but he there was a clause in his in his loan deal that if he played a certain number of minutes then Chelsea couldn't recall him and he's he's well past that so uh, happy days Levi Cole will be here the rest of the season he missed the game at the weekend of course uh, I think the plan well I say I think Carlos told us on Friday morning the plan was for him to, to train uh, on on Friday and that if he got through training and he would he would be able to play on Saturday against Swansea, but then as it turned out, he he didn't make it through the warm up, so he's got some irritation in his knee. I think the fact that they hoped to have him back for Saturday maybe points to the fact they're not expecting it to be a bad one, but obviously the fact that he's then missed out and not made it through the warm up, you, you don't know. And I asked Carlos to expect to have him back for for the Reading trip, and he said, "Well, <laughs> I expected to have him for this game, so if I tell you, if I say yes, then there's a chance it turns out to be wrong, so we'll just have to see." So yeah, a couple of uh, anxious weights there with with Colwell and and Sinani hopefully not too bad uh but we'll 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 just have to to see how they go I mean there's no updates on the the takeover really there's been some reports 
from the BBC about how the structure of the deal might might work if it were to go ahead with Marcus Evans, but I can't really, you know, say either way where you know whether that's accurate, whether there might be something else on the table. But uh, Dean Hoyle's name has come up again, obviously over the weekend. There was some he, he wrote his program notes in his role as as interim chief exec. Mark Devlin had been doing that for the past couple of months. Obviously now he's he's left the club. This is the first home game Town have had since since Devlin left the club and uh, he set a few things straight on the record by putting his side of the story forward didn't he Dave? Yeah (laughs) yeah Um, obviously it's been a point of huge reaction from the weekend Um, there's a lot of stuff flying around Uh, I think it's a pretty big subject to try and clear the record in two paragraphs of some program notes if I'm brutally honest with you and I'd slightly question the wisdom of that and i think that we we have to be slightly careful what we say here just from the point of view of we have a relationship with the club we have no sort of inside information as to the inner workings of the deal we're not going to sit here and say we don't believe this or we think this or we think this by that because we don't know the one thing i would say is that if you use the word administration in any sense in football that is a loaded term You can't Mm. use that word particularly lightly. And the fact it was used is obviously going to cause the reaction that it has. You know, there's no way around that. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, at the time of the the Hodgkinson of the pure administrations, the message they wanted to put out at that time was obviously, look, don't worry, we're, we're fine financially. And the reason, and we said this on the podcast we recorded on that day, the reason they are fine financially is because of Dean Hoyle. They didn't say as much in their statements at the time, um, the formal statements, but we reported on the day, I reported on the day that he had paid the October wage bill, which, you know, it's, he's now put on the record that that was, that was £2 million and he's put several million in since then. Um, obviously, it's been very divisive there's been a very mixed reaction uh there's you know there's plenty of fans and Kieran Maguire as well um <laughs> fellow fellow Brighton and Hove Albion fan Dave Kieran Maguire who has you know pointed out well Hoyle has also taken out millions from the club over the past few years again you could make the argument that is money he put in in the first place that was his money he can do with it as he pleases can take it out as he pleases the the other comment I've seen that I think is valid and again I'm not offering a a particular opinion on this but I do think it's a valid comment if you're gonna write the program notes that way is that the way it was written was almost as if I've had to step in and put this money in. Absolutely fair enough. But you were still a 25% owner. You haven't come from the outside and been drafted in to, to help out as it was the only way. You're still an owner. So there's a lot of people have said you still had a hand in it. It was still on your watch, effectively. And I, I do... I do get that. I do get that. But I do think a lot of this comes back to something I said on last week's pod, which is running a football club is really hard. (laughs) There is uh, lots of legal ramifications, lots of legal questions and decisions that financially it's difficult. I think I can completely understand that the programme notes being written in the way they were, which, let's be honest, they were slightly inflammatory. There's, There's no other way to to say it really it's always gonna it's gonna cause people to question things and it's gonna it's gonna create what there has been on social media etc which is a lot of people sort of you know camping themselves on one side or the other or reading more into it or deciding that it's not actually that it's this or some bloke in the pub has sold them something else it's just a little bit more fuel onto the fire unfortunately and I don't think it's going to go out anytime soon I think as soon as we know what's happening in terms of the takeover if it is indeed a takeover or if it is investment or with a new structure i think until that side calms down there might be a bit more of this if i'm brutally honest with you yeah i mean i can understand why at the same time having said all that if if Hoyle's side of the story is to be believed, I can understand why he might feel a bit aggrieved at being given a few days' notice to to you know oh, absolutely yeah go and absolutely. get two million quid you know and obviously and there's it's a, two another... million quid Steve it's two million quid we forget I think because we're talking about football I think we just go it was only two million quid two million quid I've checked my bank account on more than one occasion and I can confirm it's a lot of money two million quid much more and, than and... I have. And however rich you are, you don't necessarily have that amount of money sitting in the bank account. No. You know, I've no idea of what 
Dean Hoyle's liquidity, how his assets are tied up, anything like that. You know, that is, you know, sort of way beyond my, my purview. But uh, I think that, you know, it's it's not always easy to just go out and, and bung two, two million quid out of your bank account at short notice. And I think however rich you are, <laughs> yeah. it's always going to hurt a bit. Yeah, exactly. So I can understand why, you know, that being sort of his side of events, why... And and I'm only sort of saying that being his side of events because we haven't had on the record the other the other side of that. So you know I do need to sort of to have any journalistic integrity. Do need to to say that. But you can understand why he might be like, do you know what? I I I want to <laughs> I want it to be known that mm. I did do this at short notice and had these assurances and had that trust that things were fine and then found it wasn't and had to step in short notice. Yeah, I I think the problem is. The, re- the reality is, again, like I say, do not take this as a personal opinion because it's not. I think probably Dean Hoyle was hoping it was a full stop and it's ended mm. up being a question mark for mm. quite a few people and that's that's the issue, unfortunately. And I just think the sooner they can get the new structure sorted, whatever that may be, whether it's Marcus Evans, whether it's someone else, whether it's investment rather than ownership, who knows, I've no idea. Just the sooner they can get that better and can go a little bit more on the record, the clearer things will be. The other thing I'd say, and we both remarked on this, Steve, is this stuff is far better said in either an interview, a filmed interview, or a sort of long form interview where, where you can, context yeah. yeah where you can contextualize it you can sort of you, you don't just say a word like administration and and two sentences later you're talking about something completely unrelated that's that's the thing so i also think there's a bit of that as well and i would imagine that once this takeover slash whatever it is is sorted we might actually get something along those lines not necessarily they don't have to tell us anything at the end of the day but i i do wonder if there might be something like that in the future that just clarifies a few things a little bit more we'll see no idea yeah it's uh i think that particularly as we're in the transfer window it's quite difficult for them to to give more details than than they have already uh you know we, we've we've seen before that when fans have been going well what 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 does this actually mean they've then waited until the transfer window's closed before they've then come out and given more clarity over it because obviously they've got potentially negotiations to do with other clubs and I think anything they say can sort of hurt that position I think one thing I would say uh, with the Hoyle stuff is that I've seen a lot of people off the back of those program notes going oh so the club have been saying that we're fine but we're using the word administration does that mean that we're not fine after all no it it means you know nothing of what we reported uh on the day of of the news of the pure administrations has been altered or changes at all in light of the program notes coming out publicly and going on the record um put it that way uh you know i think the the club's movement to come out and say we are fine financially short medium and long term what they weren't saying at the time was you know themselves was because of dean hoyle because dean hoyle is here and is willing to put the money in you and i said that but not everyone reads and listens to everything you and i do weirdly dave i don't know why they don't but but but, yeah yeah and we can call them that because they're not listening Uh, (laughs) but but i think because the club hadn't come out and added that caveat and i can understand why they wouldn't um that, that goes back to the point i was making that you can't use that word yeah. without it essentially detonating like a you know like a bomb in in certain areas and i think that is what has happened and i think you have to go fair enough i mean we it, it's a difficult situation because we don't know things because these things are private matters these it's with the takeover yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um i mean well because they're you know everything as we talked about with takeovers it's all it's all non-disclosure agreements assigned nothing can go on the record um until things are done and there's good reasons for that we talked about it either last week or the week before but you know plans do change in football plans do change in business those are the two areas where Mm -hmm. notoriously plans can change overnight and things can hit snags things can you can think one thing's going to happen and then another thing happens and i think this is a good example as good an example of any as that 
I think sometimes there's times where giving fans all the information can be worse than sort of saying nothing. And I think with any takeover, any negotiations, and it's not just a Huddersfield Town thing, it's it's pretty much every club. The negotiations tend to be behind closed doors and no one knows what's happening until almost the moment it happens. You get whispers, you get you know who's in talks, you know what roughly what they want, but uh, you don't know the full details until it's done, particularly if there is going to be a partnership or an investment rather than a, a whole takeover. I think if it were to be a, a, a complete 100% takeover, I think maybe things might be a bit more straightforward, but there's a lot to hammer out. I think if they if there were leaks all over the place from the club, it would serve no one. It certainly wouldn't serve their purposes um, because, as you say, if they set up the expectation that one thing is going to happen and then another thing happens, then everyone's upset. And it's not ideal, obviously, to have fans sitting around going, well, what's happening? What's coming next? Who's going to be running the club in a month, six months, a year, whatever it might be? Uh, But it's still preferable to saying this is what's going to happen and then next week plans change and then everyone's like, well, what is happening? Do you have any clue what's happening? Yeah. The other thing I think it's probably worth saying is that it's completely understandable that Dean Hoyle wanted to go on the record in some form and address a couple of these things. That's, I would say that's probably the probably part of the motivation of taking that active role in the club again and making it official with the CEO CEO role and that's well I mean there was there was a key line which was in that program notes which is I've read some suggestions I only stepped in to secure my financial position but that's not true I mean yeah so yeah I can completely understand him wanting to go on the record and, and clear some of this stuff up I think the problem is as I said I keep saying it but I think a lot of the discourse has come back to the use of a single word and I think you probably if you're on town side of things and you're on Dean Hoyle side of things I think you probably have to accept that because like I said you can't use that word without it being an incredibly loaded term you can't use it lightly or in passing so it is what it is I think everybody just moves on and here's hoping the Derby program notes are just about pedal for pounds yeah, it's worth mentioning pedal for pounds. To be mm. fair, was it uh, the Bristol City home game? They're sort of targeting for that. That yeah, I think it's at the first weekend in May. Um, it'd be the last game of the season, in fact, wouldn't it? So yes, um, good that it's back. I would suggest well, good that it's back. Hopefully, not the last game of the season, but you know, the last <laughs> last game of the regular season. No, I mean it's a wonderful thing. It's raised hundreds of thousands, hasn't it, over the years? Mm. And um, you know. I think if you're if you're looking at getting involved, and obviously now that now's the time to get training. Lots of details still to be uh, confirmed. Obviously, that's still a tentative date for now, and these things can change as we know from the past two years in general. Uh, but I think they're sort of trying to give people notice as much as they can there, yeah. so that people can can get on the bikes and start yeah. training for it. And uh, yeah, congratulations and bravo to you. Congratulations, is the wrong word, but bravo to you. Hats off to you if you are going to be one of the people looking at taking part of that. Reading at the weekend, my least favourite away trip of the season. Um, <laughs> just for logistical reasons. I don't. Our seats in the press box are dreadful. Uh, it's as far as you can go without it being an overnight trip. Uh, I, I don't. I, I nearly got locked in the stadium couple of seasons ago uh and had to pound on a door to be let out don't enjoy going to reading uh but <laughs> nonetheless very winnable game for the town yeah it is reading are pretty pretty rotten all in um yeah and i think we i think we were before the start of the season we were tipping them up as they they could be in trouble i think there's a few chickens come home to roost there you town need to win their home games and draw their away games They've got to do it the other way around this time, but yeah, it's yeah. it's yeah, it's a very very winnable fixture, and they've also just they're coming off the back of a right sucker blow as well, you know, losing in the ninety fifth minute to Middlesbrough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's there for the taking. It's there for the taking. I'd say. Yeah, I think as you say, a rare away game where you where you target a win. I think yeah, definitely. less than a win there will be will be pretty disappointed to be honest. And interesting the way the fixture list is shaped out because you know that they've got. I think that's the first of five home games in inside a month the Swansea game was, um, if you include the Cup game. Uh, so they've got quite a few home games coming uptown. So, you know, it really is a chance to keep the momentum going, get points on the board. Hopefully they can sort out some of those, those issues we talked about uh, on and off the pitch. We'll see you next time. Get on examinerlive.co.uk for all your updates. Goodbye. Goodbye.